0: Is it's PR Darlings, a podcast all about the dark arts of public relations, publicity and all things media.
1: I mean, we're really happy to get pictures if people realise the ABC cannot promote your product. So you've got to really think, is this something for ABC News Breakfast?
2: Join us to explore the world of modern communications and how to build better relationships with media. In the past, if
1: we hadn't been able to get a camera operator to a particular location, then we would never have done the interview or the story.
0: If you want an insider's look into today's newsrooms, then come along for the ride. We're speaking to all kinds of journalists, producers
1: and industry
0: experts.
1: We need to be something different, and we are something different. And I think we are just always, every week, developing who we are and, and, you know, building our audience that way.
2: We want public relations professionals to work hand-in-hand with journalists in a way that builds trust, to deliver quality journalism and stories people love.
1: Overcoming a fear, overcoming something that had utterly knocked me for six and was going to derail my dreams of becoming a foreign
2: correspondent then made me feel like wonder woman i'm greer quinn from forward communications you really are a fun lovely supportive bunch Oh, yes,
1: (laughs) it is great. And I think you can't fake it. I just don't think you can fake that. You can't fake that for three hours every day. And I'm Jo Stone from Sticks and Stones PR. And together we are your PR darlings.
2: Welcome to It's PR Darlings, the podcast about public relations, publicity, and all things media. I'm Greer Quinn from Forward Communications. And I'm Jo Stone
0: from Sticks and Stones PR. Australia's breakfast TV wars have been dominated by Channel 9's Today Show and Channel 7's Sunrise. Other stations have tried, but these two early morning juggernauts have had decades of loyal followers always
2: battling for the top spot. Until now. For the first time in its 14 years on air, ABC's early morning flagship news breakfast program has toppled the traditional big guns. And for some of us in public relations and comms, this means we're looking at the program with fresh eyes, wondering what makes their viewers tune in in the morning and thinking about the types of stories we should be pitching.
0: The ratings have become a closer race over the last two years after one of the ABC's most experienced foreign correspondents, Walkley award-winning journalist and presenter
2: Lisa Miller, took the helm alongside the talented and entertaining Michael Rowland. We're so pleased to be able to chat with Lisa Miller on its PR darlings about what makes News Breakfast tick, how the program runs, what their audience wants, and some tips about getting you and your yarns onto the number one show. Now, we usually start the show with a weird jargon word that the media
0: uses, but today stay with us because after Lisa's interview, we're going to do something different and discuss one of the seven news values. As baby journalists, these news values, they're our go-to checklist for what makes something newsworthy. And this can help in PR too, not only in your pitching, but also when creating great, meaningful content.
2: So on to Lisa Miller. Lisa's had a long and amazing career as a journalist and presenter, culminating in a decade as the ABC's London and North American Bureau chief. She's covered some of the biggest stories in the world, the aftermath of 9-11, the parachutings, the Sandy Hook massacre, presidential campaigns, royal weddings. If it has happened in the US, London or Europe, she's been on the front line working crazy hours, often in stressful and distressing situations, battling sleepless nights and social media trolls, and amongst all that, fighting a deep terror a fear of flying that almost grounded her career. Her new memoir, Daring to Fly, is also out on shelves,
0: and it's amazing that a kid from a tiny Queensland town is now the national face of breakfast TV for the ABC, and it's a story of courage and dedication that will inspire you to make and take opportunities in your career. So today, we're so pleased to have Lisa join us to talk about the new number one breakfast show in the country. So welcome to It's PR, darlings, Lisa. First of all, congratulations on the ratings. How's the team feeling about that?
1: Look, it's, I mean, clearly we're happy. You know, you know, you know that the ABC doesn't focus on the ratings. We don't, no. No, <laughs> but, but the reality is we don't want to be getting up at three o'clock in the morning and even earlier for the producers if we think no one's out there watching us. So yeah. of course, it's a lovely feeling to know that, People are switching on and the number of people who have come up to me and said, oh, I never used to watch breakfast television or I watched the other shows and I kind of stumbled on you guys and now I'm hooked. And so it's a really nice feeling just getting that audience feedback when, you know, I'm finally out and about actually meeting real live people. It's
0: validation for that hard work, isn't it?
1: Yeah, look, it is validation and I do think of the producers who really pull some long hours Um, and, you know, we do try to sort of have a chat after the show and I want to try and tell them because, you know, as the presenters you end up getting the feedback on social media or if you're out and about at the shops people will be coming up to you to tell you how great they think the show is and I do try and pass that on to the producers to say, hey, thanks for going the extra yard, for getting that talent out of Ukraine today because that made the difference between what we're putting forward as a breakfast show and what the others are. And, you know, look, I love what Today and Sunrise do. Don't get me wrong. I think they have awesome people. You know, the EPs are great. There's nothing but praise from me for them. But we need to be something different and we are something different. And I think we are just always every week developing who we are and, and, you know, building our audience that way.
2: Do you have any insight into why the ratings are doing so well? What do you think the magic pudding mix has been? Well, sadly, I think it was a lot of people were home.
1: <laughs> <I>
2: mean, <COVID. laughs> Humble. 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 That,
1: that is the reality. I met someone on the weekend who came up to me and said, um, you were my family. I couldn't cross the border. I couldn't get anywhere. Uh, I turned on news breakfast in the mornings, and I would know that at least there was something still normal about the world. And so that's the kind of feeling that we would get. So I think the last couple of years, people have wanted news that they could trust. They wanted to know, though, that we were going to offer them some comfort, which we tried to do as well, especially for our Melbourne audience. And that, you know, look, the number of women I know who, um, Have spent their maternity leaves um, watching news, breakfast in the morning, while they've been dealing with new babies at five a.m. Yeah, in fact, I met I met one of them just this past weekend, Georgina, and she said that her daughter had known Michael's and my names before she knew any of the Disney characters. That is so good. (laughs) I love it. it. I love that too. That's awesome.
0: That's so good. So obviously, trust I think is a big thing there as well. Assess, uh on the back of um, the pandemic. But as you mentioned, you know, the ratings haven't been so important to the ABC in the past and stories were always covered because they were important or significant. Do you think that is changing? Are you becoming more, you know, targeting specific audiences and looking yes, for specific yes, stories? Are. Yeah, we
1: are. But I'll tell you what we're doing. It's not that we're going, we need higher ratings. It's that we're saying, who are we not serving? Um, you know, let's do better to reach audiences that have not discovered the ABC before, and that can be the uh, commuter belts around cities. You know, so don't don't sort of concentrate on those suburbs within five k's, but go go out like you know, if you're using Brisbane as the example, it's like, well, Logan like where are the where's the audience that we have not delivered for and why haven't we delivered for them so we just are always thinking well what are we providing that is going to make that audience feel like they want to switch on and that they want to see themselves reflected in what we're offering
2: so at the moment what would you say the demographics are uh, look, we I think
1: like all um, linear television networks, our audience is older. Um, it is getting younger all the time. It did get younger during the pandemic, and we've kept a lot of that audience. And there were more women. So I think for ABC News Breakfast, um, you know, like any other TV networks, we've got loads of over fifty fives, but we have a growing healthy audience who are much younger and who are women and we know that just from the audience comments that come on while we're on air if we throw out something as an idea you know to get audience feedback there'll be people who write in and say I'm off to uni for the day and this is the thing that's bugging me the most so we do know just from that that we are getting a a changing a changing audience, that is definitely where the biggest growth has been.
2: Social media is amazing from that instant feedback point of view. Do you Mm. use some of that to inform, say, the next day?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I'll tell you the subject that always triggers a great deal of conversation, and that is aged care, because people are either going into aged care or they've got parents that they're dealing with Or grandparents, and they're witnessing that, or their young aged care workers who are in the system. So, we will often use um, ideas that come in from people that they've sent in on social media. And, you know, like if people are writing on the ABC News Breakfast Facebook page, anyone can see it. You can get an idea of that. You can get an idea of what's really triggering people and and making and what- people want to engage that's it's a good
2: remi- yeah it's good reminded tip. me of your um first published um experience with uh, dolly magazine in your memoir <laughs> that,
1: is, that is exactly right for people who haven't read it i wrote a poem about going to look at nursing homes where my mum was looking at putting grandma and i found it as a teenager super super confronting but it was something i wanted to to write about and yeah that is definitely the absolute hot topic, whenever we raise it on the show, it it goes off.
0: That's a great idea to actually use the social media commentary to look and see what stories are coming up and what people are interested in, I think that's a great idea. You know, you can Mm -hmm. use Jack into that as PRs. We could look at that and say, "Well, this is something that's been trending today. So we maybe might pitch an idea to them tomorrow. So I think that's an excellent tip. That
1: that leads into something. And I know we might be jumping around a bit and I don't want to get sort of too far ahead. But when you're thinking about pitches, one of the things that really works is when it is um, dedicated to the show that you are pitching to and so if someone says hey on News Breakfast I saw that you are campaigning about aged care and you're trying to raise that can I alert you to you know volunteers who are taking food to you know and it might work in with what you've been doing And, you know, so every day on News Breakfast, we will throw out what we call a chat point and we'll put it out on the News Breakfast Twitter feed or the News Breakfast Facebook. The presenters who are on social media will tend to put it out on their own personal social media as well. But there are two areas there, Twitter and Facebook, that will give you an idea. And I mean, sometimes it's just funny and silly. Like there was something the other day, oh, that's right, The Super Bowl, right? We were talking about the fact that the halftime entertainment that Eminem was there. And I discovered he was 49 years old. (laughs) And I went, Are you? (laughs) It's an outrage.
2: He's 20. He's
1: still 20. (laughs) And so that was, we immediately said, Wow, what makes you feel old? You know, what are the things that make you feel old? And then people started coming up with the most fabulous, funny, entertaining um ideas and so that was something that was our conversation for the program you know we do it because we like the audience engagement but we also do it because sometimes when things don't go to plan and you've got a black auto cue in front of you you can always just revert to the conversation that you've been having during the morning and you've got the comments there to rely on and you can have a bit of a chat one of the others I remembered was that um this woman wrote in and said, you know, when you're filling out forms online and you have to put in your birth year, but now you have to scroll, scroll, scroll. <laughs> to you know. And she said, yeah. that is what makes her feel old.
0: I love it, that. Um, and how do um, stories get pitched to breakfast? Do you have a group of producers? Do you borrow content from other ABC platforms or programs? Do PRs, you know, p- pitch directly into the program? Yep, yeah,
1: no, PRs pitch directly into the program. And I'm actually going to give you a scoop here because we now have a new email address dedicated for pitches and for planning. Uh, that is the best email address for people because we found that PR people would get to know one producer and then sort of be emailing that producer. But we change staff, not just their shifts, but, you know, people move on, come back to the show. The hours are pretty brutal. So, you know, someone that they might have been dealing with a year earlier is not the person they're dealing with now. The email address, drumroll, is yes. newsbreakfastplanning.com at abc.net.au. And that is an email address that gets checked by a team of forward planners um, and they will do a cursory check of what they think might fly or not. But the EP and the Um, supervising producer will also log on to that email address and go through it. So it's seen by a large number of people. I can tell you that, um, you know, the best time to pitch something is possibly just after the program finishes Doesn't matter if you're not looking to, you know, to try and get something up for a few days or a a week or so. I wouldn't be pitching too early because things will get lost. But if you do it later in the day, it does tend to get a bit lost, like everyone's sort of, you know, at the end of their tasks and all the rest of it. Best time to sort of drop an email into that email address is shortly after the program finishes taking into account daylight saving for those people who are out of the state um yeah so we do we get about 60 pictures a day probably to that um email address so you can imagine that that's a lot for people to go through um the producers there you know there's a few kind of do's and don'ts if that would be helpful to sort of yeah run we'd love through that. With please, please,
0: please. Tell, us, tell us the pet peeves, <laughs> <laughs> the pet peeves.
1: <laughs> well the best the best pitch is something that is short sharp to the point also that it's an indication that the um person putting the press release out actually knows the show that they are pitching to and one of the things that we see is that you know we'll be on just a general email li- email list that is focusing on trying to flog a product or flog a com- company or i mean we can't do that you know the abc has commercial restrictions it's not how our show operates the other great thing in pitches is to you know if you've got Say it's a report or something like that, and there's a couple of cracker lines out of the report. Then put them right at the top of the email, like pull the lines out of the report, offer case studies. Um, you know, that so many people do that these days. I think you know they've got into the habit of it, and it's terrific. If you're going to talk about, put it, you know, diabetes, for example, and I'm just pulling these things yeah. out of my head, it's like, um think about, so for the ABC, we're trying to get more women on air, we're trying to get a more diverse audience on air, people who might have disabilities, people who live in those areas outside of the cities. They're the case studies we're looking for. We're not looking for a latte sipping chardonnay drinking in a Not city there's wrong with that <laughs> i love them they're fabulous i love them and i love a latte myself but in our yeah, um, yeah. reaching more people exactly mm. that is what we're looking for the first question that um the producers will ask someone who might have pitched something is do you have a woman who can talk about it because we are committed to a 50 50 gender target that we have to reach Mm. on a daily basis Um, and sometimes we won't reach it of course um, but a lot of the times we do and we in our planning notes that go out every day the first thing at the top is 50 50 split and it'll be 48 percent women 52 percent men so it's, it's like it's okay. great
2: that the ABC yeah. is doing this because I've actually been doing this for the last, I don't know, maybe five or six years with greater emphasis with my clients to oh, not continuously, idea. you know, roll out the pale, stale male, for yeah. want of a better term, but to actually think outside um what we're used to seeing so that we see more representation. Um, yeah. And I think, look, great tips in there,
0: Lisa. That's amazing. Um, I think the news breakfast planning email is just a genius idea. Um, I'm amazed that you um, only get 60 um, yes <laughs> i think
1: you'll be getting a couple of hundred
2: yeah, yeah. maybe Ma- sorry Ma- yeah maybe um a couple this week <laughs> yeah. jo and well, um,
1: you know if they're if they're worthwhile and if i mean we're really happy to get pictures if people realize the abc cannot promote your product you know so so you've got to really think is this something for abc news breakfast we're always on the hunt for light material um, and quirky material. We often have plenty of serious news-worthy um, material, but it's often the light that we might be chasing of a day. Um,
2: so that's something to keep in mind. That That's what we were actually going to ask you, if you had felt that with the pandemic and so much dark news around if... Uh, your program has been proactively trying to cheer people up because people have found the news very heavy in this period. Oh, totally.
1: And, you know, I don't mind if people say they've had to switch off. It's like, yeah, some days I want to switch off and I can't. I don't yeah. have that choice. Um, so we definitely do chase the light. You know, while we're on air, the program, the planners, the producers will be, you know, um, trawling through social media, trying to find something funny dogs doing something, kids having a funny birthday celebration somehow, you know, even if it takes up just 15 seconds of airtime, um, it makes people just take a breath, have a laugh and, yeah. you know, they can sort of set their day again. I do, so I think also, you know, I was talking about um, location diversity. I think the socioeconomic diversity is also important with the, the kinds of talent that we're looking for. And and I also think that um, you know, don't don't pitch too far in advance. Like don't pitch a month in advance. There's no point to that. But if you if you wanted to try and get something on the show um on a Friday and we might have been speaking on a Wednesday, then, you know, you can pitch today. It's not too late. We've got three hours of television to fill. Uh one of the great things is also saying, okay, well this is the talent, this is who you can have, these are the possibilities, and then actually be able to deliver on that because occasionally we'll get pictures that we go, yeah, great, okay, and we'll ring up and say, that's awesome. Um, You know, can we get, um, you know, Joanne blogs? And they'll go, oh, no, she's gone overseas on holidays. for a week yeah. or she's on holidays or whatever. We understand if people are sick or not well or whatever, but the number of times where... They've gone, put out the release, offered the talent and then not been able to deliver on the talent.
2: And as PRs, we've sometimes um, been mysteriously ghosted as well. So that can be be really, really tricky. So I usually give them the big lecture, have your mobile turned on, have it fully charged, leave it with you. Don't leave town. (laughs) don't leave town. (laughs) And also vision to sort of think about
1: offering ideas about how it can either be, be... Um, covered or offering the kind of vision, if it is with Joanne Bloggs, who is a diabetes sufferer, maybe someone might have been able to knock off a few um, iPhone clips in her home as she's Going through her process of her diabetes, I mean, we make that clear to the audience that it's not ABC footage, like we, you know. But that that idea has sort of changed over the years. It used to be the case: the ABC would never touch anything that hadn't been yeah, shot never by take themselves. A, never take a video news
0: release or yeah. anything like that. Yeah,
1: but but I mean, we certainly make it super clear where things have come from, and we certainly draw a line at, you know, like if it was a video news release, it would have to be, say. Um, the scientists in Antarctica discovering a new breed of penguin and it's their vision you know what I mean like it would have to be something pretty special but if we were going to um, use a talent it's not it's good for the pitch to actually say look these are some of the vision options you know if you're happy with iphone quality we might be able to get a little bit of this ourselves you know these are some of the ideas and i did want to um say also just to give people an idea of the timing of our program as well because i do think people are interested in knowing you know that our first lot of producers gets in at two o'clock in the morning michael and i get in about 3 30 We have a staff meeting at about 5am where we run through the show, what's planned, what our top story is, what we're going to tease, um, what our best vision is for the day. And then we say, okay, is anyone missing anything? Like, what else do we need in this show? And, you know, we are adding things and getting new interviews and grabbing people throughout the three hours. It's not all locked in. Um, so there are opportunities that if, um, PR people are watching the program thinking, Oh God, I've got the best talent on this. They could be up on zoom in half an hour. Well, send an email through, you never know your luck. You know, it's just, you, you just, um, It's a moving feast is breakfast television.
2: So, Lisa, I wanted to ask, for instance, you were saying that you wanted uh, diverse locations. Say we wanted to pitch something like that. Would you then send a crew out for news breakfast or would you be wanting iPhone footage, for instance?
1: it depends. Look, there's a couple of things that have happened over the last two years with COVID. Um, The biggest one is that the audience is way more used to seeing people on Zoom and Skype and... They don't mind that it looks a bit rough and ready. It's okay. We're all used to it now and that's permissible. In the past, if we hadn't been able to get a camera operator to a particular location, then we would never have done the interview or the story. But Queensland in particular is that um, sometimes Michael will go and film packages during the day that we then run you know a, a day or two later so you've got you've got the packages that can be done that our uh dedicated breakfast reporter does or you're pitching as a live cross that can be done by zoom or skype i mean we barely even send the camera operators out now to Polly's when it's when they're popping up on television um You know, Jim Chalmers, sort of his electorate is Logan, of course. And, you know, we will try to get a camera and a live view, which is the equipment that broadcasts it back to us. If we can't, he's done Skype and Zoom before. It's no biggie. So Certainly all changed
0: post-pandemic or during pandemic, hasn't it? We're all much more accepting of that kind of vision. Yeah. Yep.
1: So would it be good
2: if we gave you the option that if you did want to film it, we could give you two days, but if you would prefer um, Zoom or Skype, we can... Yeah, you could say, look, this could work as a... I'm trying to think of something. Oh, okay,
1: for example, the um, new gym facilities that were opening for young hopeful Olympians ahead of the Brisbane Olympics. Now, we could have done that as... A live cross on the morning which we did end up doing it that way Michael was there with one of the coaches they mucked around they pushed weights they had a fun time on camera and we crossed to them two or three times three times I think during the program the other option if you'd been pitching that could have been look you know, Michael could come during the day. We're going to have a stack of kids here that we've got approvals to have them on camera. If you want to do it that way, that might be a bit more lively. Either option works for us. We can do it on these particular days. Um, let us know what you think.
0: So, Lisa, just um, moving on to another sort of topic, the ABC is really known for its fearless reporting and you've witnessed some really traumatic scenes and some of the worst and the best sides of humanity in the stories that you've covered. How do you actually decompress and how can we Mm. as PRs look out for the journalists who might be covering some of those difficult situations that you've seen and witnessed and been involved in? Because obviously there would be contact for prs in some of these instances too
1: yeah yeah look i think one of the first thing that comes to mind when you're asking me what you can do as a profession is to make sure that journalists aren't walking into a situation where they're causing more trauma or grief in the way they're interviewing someone if you have talent who has gone through something very difficult. Then make sure the journalist knows. Hey, listen, these subjects are a bit off limit. Um, just because you know, as we had the situ- we had the very situation today, where I had been pre warned that one of our talent um, didn't want to talk about something that I could have stumbled into, and then felt really bad about it because it didn't. It wasn't necessary for the interview, but with a careless question. I could have caused drama and trauma for that person and also made myself feel pretty bad about it. So I think it's okay to be pretty clear about areas that don't, you know, that are off limits for people. And how do I decompress? Look, there during COVID for those two years, gals, there were days where I said, I just can't go into work tomorrow. I right. need a day. I need a day. And I was pretty honest about it. And, in fact, I did an Instagram post. Um, I hope everyone's doing okay. You know, we're still clearly in lockdown and I've got to say I just couldn't face the news again today and I'm going to take a day off and thanks for your understanding and if you need to switch off the telly, I'm sure Michael's not going to feel bad we all recognize that that consumption of that news day after day after day can have a debilitating effect on people
2: that's it amazing can be quite over overwhelming um and it's good that um you were actually able to take a day off that's oh yeah potentially unheard got... of back in the day absolutely Totally. I mean,
1: I think a lot of things have changed in that time. And, you know, it's one of the things that I talk about in my book, because I did cover a lot of traumatic things during my career. And I didn't realise the impact that it was having on me until 2005, when I suddenly was introduced to the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma and this understanding of, gee, we actually need to look after ourselves. We can't just pretend that we're bulletproof and we're, you know, just racing through this fantastic, fabulous career that people make movies about. It actually requires a little bit of effort on our side to make sure that we don't end up drunks with broken marriages and yeah. you know, mental instability and lost careers.
0: And I think that happens in PR as well because we're also on the front line on mm-hmm. the flip side of these things too. It's um, maybe not as public facing but we're still coordinating like you talking to those talent and um, hearing their stories firsthand and sometimes – um, I've certainly found this working in the law fields you know some of the oh, client's yeah. stories are really traumatic and then you have to sort of say well we I don't we don't think you should say maybe we shouldn't talk about that maybe you're too raw to talk about yeah. that let's sort of and steer them um, around conversations so you obviously will hear the full story sometimes behind the scenes as a journalist and behind the scenes as a PR so definitely looking after ourselves across the board is something that's so important yeah. moving and- forward
1: in terms of trauma. It, absolutely, Joe, you're bang on. And to be honest, some of the most basic things can help, which is to go for a walk go and take a, a, you know, a fresh air, like just get outside um, and drink lots of water, like really basic stuff Mm. like that that I just would have thought rolled my eyes and like, oh, please, really? But (laughs) actually it's amazing how much it works. And that then leads to something, Greer, that you asked me about just before we were recording, which I I said I'd fill you in on, which was, doing the audio book for the audio version of Daring to Fly, the oh. book that I published last year. Yes. Because when I walked in, it was with a audio producer who all they do is audio books. And he said, you know, it can be pretty hard recording your own memoir, you need to go easy on yourself. And if you ever need to take a break, just let me know. And I said, oh no, I'll be fine. I've done this. (laughs) So I'm like, you know, one chapter in and I'm like,
2: I could hear your I could actually hear your voice um a few moments. And it made me uh tear up
1: because I could hear the
2: emotion in your voice, even though I know, you know, you're you're playing it down and being really professional but it actually um, enriched my experience as a listener to hear your proximity to the story. Well thank you but I
1: did have to step out of the recording booth a few times to just walk around the block and so whether it's what you're doing in your professions and Joe, that constant sort of Talking and absorbing people's stories and absorbing people's pain and grief, and you can't underestimate the impact that that can have. Because I know you, Joe, I've known you for a long time, and you are an incredibly empathetic person. I, you feel things, you are not. Uh, cold hearted in any way so it doesn't oh, surprise kind. me at all <laughs> that you would be absorbing absorbing that
0: yeah that's very kind I thank you Lisa I feel the same way about you I wanted to give you a hug during that oh, book I was thinking oh, oh I know um, it was beautiful to read actually and that fear of one of the things that um, you know, obviously Daring to Fly is about is your fear of flying I had no idea you know you were um, always such a legend like you were just just so switched on and just focused and delivering these amazing stories. How did
1: you hide that? Um, Well, I didn't hide it a lot of the times. (laughs) And, in fact, a colleague of ours, Kim Landers, who is now the executive producer of AM, says that she still has the fingernail marks in her hands
0: from (laughs) flying with me.
1: Oh, that's cold. (laughs) It's just, look, it was one of the things, you know, I developed the fear of flying when I was a young Townsville reporter after I was in an incident in a plane midair when the engine Stalled mm-hmm. in a thunderstorm. And it then became a very big fear that made me um, sick and physically sick with fear when I had to get on a 737 from Brisbane to Sydney. I mean, I just, you know, but I would always do it. But the, here is this irony that this little kid from the country who dreamed of becoming a foreign correspondent was you know, being stopped because she had this fear of flying. So I knew that I had to get over it before I could take this next adventure. And so when I started my first posting, and I did 12 years overseas, when I started my first posting, it was shortly after September 11, but I had, I had controlled the fear enough that I'd stopped being sick, um, but I became like Rainman. I knew every airline in America, every <laughs> bolt that had fallen out of every plane and my producer in Washington DC told me one day that she had booked me on a flight to Miami and she told me who she'd booked me on and I went, nah. They just changed their names because they crashed and a hundred people died five years ago <laughs> oh. and all they've done <laughs> is rebrand and paint the planes they've done nothing they've not spent more money on um, maintenance like and she looked at me with her eyes growing increasingly larger <laughs> thinking who is this woman But then she realized okay I need a list of safe airlines for Lisa to fly. Mm. And she worked on that list and that's how I got through it. And then there was this magical day when I took a flight and I suddenly realised I hadn't actually even been thinking about what I was doing. And it was the first time that I realised the fear was completely gone. And it probably took, I did—I had done a fear of flying course and it probably took four or five years after the fear of flying course to get to that point where I was... I didn't have to sort of numb myself with a drink or, you know, that I, I was completely fear-free so
0: and what it was some, such a
1: magical feeling. Mm. What
0: were some of the tactics then and can you translate those into, you know, other life experiences?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing that happened. So with the fear of flying, um, the course that I did, they split it into the – Actual nuts and bolts of flying, they get pilots in to talk to you and they tell you, you know what, a 737 can take off on one engine. If something if a bird flies into the other engine, you are still going to take off. It's all okay. And they, you know, they'd show you the cockpit and they'd explain why you were so safe. They'd show you the logbooks of the planes. I mean, they they had so much patience to try and encourage you to realize. That you were in a very safe piece of equipment, and the
2: and the act of flying, they could make you understand it. The but other they're, they're using gone, um, they're using transparent communication to build trust. <laughs> yes, <laughs> from exactly. a comms perspective, <laughs> exactly. And then the other
1: thing they would do, the other side of it, was they would explain to you why. Um, physiology why your brain is thinking a particular thing and why you want to flee because you think that you are in danger but you're not in danger so those two aspects that's a very short version of it but they would then give you the tools I used to fly with palm cards in my hand with those exact things you know a jet can take off on one engine (laughs) The pilot knows where all the emergency landing places are. Um, There are two pilots in the cockpit. You know, they are not going to get food poisoning. Like it's just all of those things that I would just keep reciting myself as, you know, a mantra. But the other thing that I was not expecting at all about it was that, that overcoming a fear, overcoming something that had utterly knocked me for six and was going to derail my dreams of becoming a foreign correspondent then made me feel like Wonder Woman. And I Mm. thought, oh, my God, I have trained my brain to not be afraid of flying anymore what else can I do as I rub my hands together, <laughs> And someone suggested to me, why don't you train for an Olympic distance triathlon? And I did. And mm. I couldn't even swim. So wow, it, was, wow, it yeah. was this sense of once you've gotten over something that is so massive, then you realise, actually, I can pretty much do anything. Like you just... You know, and, and look, I was at the gym again this morning. I would, I get, that makes me sound like I'm always at the gym. I started going to a it's personal both. trainer because one of the things about trying to look after yourself with these hours is that if you don't lock in times where you have to turn up and front someone, then I find the day can sort of disappear in a long breakfast after the show and then a long nap and then suddenly it's the afternoon and you've not done anything. But I went to the trainer and she said, you know, we're you're gonna do a deadlift today of 70 kilos. And I'm like, no I'm not. She's like, yeah, yeah, you can. Anyway, by the end of the session, I was doing it. And it's like, yes, of course, I'm constantly being reminded that our mind and our hesitation and and what we're afraid of is just the biggest barrier. And once you can push through that, then the sky's the limit.
0: And how did you go being thrust into the spotlight and having this your life kind of opened up and picked through? We spoke with Trent Dalton in Season 1 about his feature writing and his novel, his new novel at the time, All Our Shimmering Skies, mm. and what it's like to be on the flip side. So what was it like for you to be the interviewee rather than the interviewer? Was it a bit awkward with the ABC colleagues?
1: Look, I'd been such a reluctant writer and I even when I had finished the 85,000 words and the manuscript was done, I said to the publisher, I'm not sure we should publish this. I'm not sure that it's worth it. I don't know that people will care about this. So when I started getting feedback from the reviewers, I had the confidence that, oh wow, actually they like it. It's okay. And so then I felt good about talking about it and especially the fear of flying stuff a lot of people have a fear of flying so i love it if anything i say might help them and then the other thing is we've had such an incredibly loyal audience at the abc and so many people who followed my career from townsville to canberra to brisbane to washington back to sydney back to washington to london down to Melbourne, that they love the idea of being able to get an idea of behind the scenes, like what was really going on, what was going on through her mind. And I want people to realise, look, it is a great career and I've absolutely loved every minute of it, even the really tough days I've never regretted sacrifices that might have been made time with family I've just I feel so so lucky Um, but I also want people to realize that it's no glamour trip it is it's hard and we try our best and sometimes we don't live up to the expectations of the audience but we do really try
0: Mm. Well, you um, you write with such great affection about your mentors and your role models throughout your book. Some of them, oh gosh, the top names in journalism like the legendary Mark Colvin. But how mm. did you find those people through your career? How did they come come to be in your oh, life? Oh, good
1: question. Um, well, with Mark Colvin, it was I was working as a junior reporter in Sydney in Radio Current Affairs, and he was there as the presenter for PM. I think you need to never be ashamed to be saying I would like your guidance. I do you have 10 minutes after the show I'd like to ask your questions about what I could have done better or you know where you think my skill base might be. I think sometimes we get a bit nervous about asking for Mentorships, and I think you should never stop doing that. It doesn't matter what age you get to. So, I still feel that my mentors at the moment are people like Pamela Williams, who writes for the Financial Review, and Marion Wilkinson, who I think has been one of Australia's great journalists, who's now retired from a day job but is still super busy. And I'll often check in with them if I feel like I've got ethical queries, or I want to sort of run something by them, or I just want to have a yarn about stuff. And, you know, they are friends, yes, but I think of them as mentors. And I I do think younger reporters, and not just in our industry, in your industry as well, you know, you look at who who are the top PR professionals. Well, if you're young and wanting to get into that industry, why would you not... Um, contact people and say, you know, look, I followed your career, I think you're awesome, do you have time for a coffee? I think it would be a pretty cruel person who ever said, you know, they're not flattered by that and they don't have time and they're not going to give back to an industry that's helped them rise up through over the years. I mean, I, I generally think that most people are pretty kind and awesome and so I think if you're looking for a mentor, then you should always just ask. There's no harm in just asking.
2: Um, I was really interested in when I was reading Daring to Fly that you grew up with your father having quite a high profile in his role as politician. So it would have given you that behind the scenes peek into the workings of media from quite a young age, but also in terms of reputation management Um, So I'm just thinking from a PR perspective there because you would have seen both sides um, of that coin. Do you think that these experiences have shaped you and um, we were going to say as well um, there was a period of time where or you used to be on Twitter and you've taken yourself off Twitter. Um, Do you think that that sort of privacy that your family seemed to really value growing up that was, I guess, mixed with that um, public eye informs some of the way that you um, interact potentially with, with social media as well? It's an interesting question. I think when
1: dad retired in 1991. So I, you know, that is a very different era of what's published, what's out there. And it's to my regret that quite frankly, I was too busy being a teenager and going off to Queensland Uni and, and, you know, looking after my own life to be more engaged than I was with what was going on with dad. Um, I wished that I had sort of ask more questions, certainly in regards to how do you try to, I mean, he was not a sophisticated operator in management of reputation. Now, I think social media has changed a lot of things. Social media is great in a lot of regards and just downright foul and toxic in others. Um, You know, I'm reluctant to sort of end up being the poster girl for you know, I had to get off Twitter because I, you know, couldn't cop the abuse. But it got to a point during the day um, that I just thought this is really having an impact on me, that I was being attacked for things that, you know, I was being attacked for interviews that I hadn't even done. It would just mm-hmm. suddenly morph into this pile on and it happened day after day and I just suddenly thought, wow, I actually don't need to accept this bullying on a daily basis. And so I just very quietly deactivated my account um, temporarily for a month. And I thought, I'll see how it goes for a month. But then someone spotted that I was off um, and then that became a pylon because they said, oh, you can't cop it. And that's why you've gone off. And I thought, oh, wow, this has just confirmed to me that I actually really need to be off it. And that's probably, I don't know, it'd be maybe seven months ago now. And I've got to tell you, I have not missed it. And it's yeah. had, you know, everyone's got to do what's right for them. So there are people who love Twitter, love getting into the RG bargy and all the rest of it. But for me, I didn't need real-time feedback while I was presenting the high-wire act of breakfast television and having people tell me to stop waving my flappy tuck shop arms around and stuff like yeah. that. I oh. mean, you've just got to say,
0: yeah, no. Yeah. I actually often think that journalists should actually switch to LinkedIn. You know, it's a business oh, platform. Yeah. Yep, there's tons well, of connections, you know CEOs, the, you know, PR yep, people who want to share, exactly. share their work and, and everyone wants to share your work in their networks. So, I,
1: yes. yeah, I often think that. Well, you are not alone because when I went off Twitter and I got a message, and I do have a LinkedIn account, when I got, I got a message on LinkedIn from a very famous Australian author, a woman, and she said, Welcome to where the adults hang out. Wow. So there you go. Let's
0: get a couple of uh, other little important things
2: out of the way. Yeah. So the I questions did, that people really want to know. You've got another question you, yeah. Gria? Yeah, yeah. Before we do the that one, I wanted to yep. ask because well, I'm you've worried about
1: what's coming. No no, 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 no,
2: Because you've moved you've moved around so much and you've reported in Indonesia, you've reported in Washington as well. Wow. We want to know how does PR work in other countries? Is it is it similar to Australia? Um, and how do you get those contacts? Um, up and running quickly so that you can be meeting your deadlines uh, so quickly? Did it take
1: time? Mm. Interesting. Um, Look, I think it operated differently in the US to the UK. You know, it's very, I think the whole media scene operates differently there. I was surprised in the UK that some talent, depending on how they were connected, expected to be paid paid um and you know look fair enough if that's they feel like you know if it's princess diana's um bridesmaids who are always getting trotted out to give a grab when anything happens with the um royal family and they're like well why aren't i making any money from this then you know knock yourself dead go for it you know it was a problem for the abc of course because we don't have that kind of checkbook journalism to offer people money like that but as far as PR goes I you know what I would do in wherever I moved I would sign up to email lists for various groups and organizations um foreign press center um you know there are places that are valuable hubs of journalists who for people in your profession you can then contact and and get in touch with um, But I don't know, it just, it sort of evolves, I guess, because, you know, every time you go out on a story, you're meeting more people, you swap business cards, you get known. Um, You know, I'm still on mailing lists for a lot of people in London. I keep writing back saying, I'm afraid I cannot come to this lecture on Wednesday night (laughs) because as I have told you 10 times, I have moved to Australia. Uh, Contact is always the important thing, isn't it? Mm, Absolutely.
0: Let's get a few other important things out of the way. So the questions that people always want to know, what time do you get up in the morning?
1: Yes, 3am. Although if it's a big story and I know that there might be a lot of interviews coming, I might set the alarm for 10 to 3 to give myself another (laughs) 10 minutes. And I am so um, structured with every minute of that moment before I walk out the door and jump in the cab, that this morning, my contact lens went in the wrong way. And I ended up being two oh. minutes late to get down to the cab. And the driver said to me, you're never two minutes
2: late. <laughs> oh, wow. You can't be
0: in TV, can you? Especially live television.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Military <laughs> <That's exactly>. precision.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. And so um, so the other question is, do you day nap? Or do you just go to bed like at six?
1: Um, well, I go to bed at eight. And I, so I watch 7.30. I couldn't not watch Lee. Lee, beautiful no. Lee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have to watch 7.30 and then I go to bed. Uh, look, some weeks I can push through and other weeks I need to have a bit of a nap. Uh, I never go out during the week at night. It's just too hard. Yeah. Um, and by the time you get round to Friday afternoon, you are absolutely shattered.
0: Absolutely. And what about Michael? Um, he just seems like such fun to work with and he's always oh, so he's chipper. Great. Is he like that at three in the morning? He,
1: um, well, we don't see a lot of each other at three in the morning because sadly he's in and out of makeup in, you know, five minutes and I'm there for an hour. So, oh,
2: <laughs>
0: brutal. <he's,
1: laughs> You know, it's like by the time I, you know, from the time I walk in there and sort my clothes and jewelry and all the rest of it, um, you know, I don't have anyone doing that for me in the morning. So I, it does take a bit of time for me to then walk back out again. And you're just so busy getting your head around the program. But he, you know, when we're in the studio and how he comes across on air, how everyone does Nate, Tony Armstrong, Madeline Morris. It is exactly how they are off air as well. One of the things I've loved about breakfast is that I always feel like everyone's got my back, that I'm never going to be allowed to say something stupid or wrong on television or if I do then it becomes a funny joke that we can all laugh along with. Or It was like yesterday, Madeline could not say, coal-fired power station she kept saying coal power fire station <laughs> <laughs> and so you know we had a laugh about it yeah. you got to have a laugh about it it was one of the things that Michael had told me very early on he said you know there are no real mistakes in breakfast television there's just great fodder for humor so that's, uh, that's that is what I'm thinking it's okay if the microphone doesn't work something happens if I accidentally walk in front of the camera then
2: that's fine that's just <laughs> so you how really it happens. Are- You really are a fun, lovely, supportive bunch. Oh, yes, (laughs) it is great. And I think you can't fake
1: it. I just don't think you can fake that. You can't fake that for three hours every day. And I get the feeling from the audience that they really appreciate the fact that we're all mates we all like hanging out with each other, we're all supportive of each other and that's what you get. You you know, who we are, who I am, you know, when you meet me in the street is who I am on air and, you know, I've well, I'll never lose that because it's how I've always been for the last 30 years but I know that the audience appreciates that.
0: Lisa, thank you so much for your time. It's, it's so great to have an insight into the new number one TV program in the country, News Breakfast oh, on the ABC. <laughs> Congratulations again on the ratings win and also for Daring to Fly, which is out now in bookstores. I think it really takes courage to share your story, especially that the tough and maybe those not-so-shiny bits, and it's such an insight into your role and into your life as well. So thank you so much for sharing with us on It's PR, Darling.
1: Thank you, thank you. It's been great to chat to you
0: guys. I told you
1: we'd have a few laughs. laughs.
2: We promised to let you in on the secret of newsworthiness. Journalists are the absolute masters at creating content of value for their audience. That's why understanding not just the outlet but the outlet's audience, by listening to podcasts like ours, can help you pitch your story. But sometimes when working in PR, the desire to tell your client's story the way they want it told may cloud your own ability to objectively judge its news value. In a newsroom, reporters and chiefs of staff make decisions about what to cover by weighing up the news value of all the facts, events and stories available each day. Stories with greater news values will be followed up and those with greater news values than others will feature more prominently. Several factors help to determine the news values of information and These are basically called news values. And at university, that's the first
0: thing that journalists learn are actually these news values. And there's seven or eight, depending on which theory you subscribe to. And these values are literally the template for decision making if something is newsworthy. So this obviously develops throughout your career until eventually you're making these calls as a journalist instinctively. But as public relations professionals, we can hack into these values to create engaging stories and find the hook for the journalist and just generally create better content. So the news values are impact, timeliness, prominence, proximity, bizarreness,
2: conflict, currency and human interest. So let's start with conflict what are the different sides of this issue and what are their arguments? Humans love conflict, especially simple two-sided conflict. It engages us emotionally as we get to judge the merits of the arguments and decide, decide who's right and who's wrong. Political stories are often the best examples of conflict, particularly in the lead up to an election. Journalists are obligated to provide both sides of the story but they also hold those in power to account. So this value is often expressed at full force in political stories. And it's always, there's always two sides
0: to a story, isn't there? My
2: dad always says
0: there's two sides to a pancake. You know, it doesn't matter how thin the pancake is, there's always two sides. But I I actually think that conflict is probably one of the most important values because it makes
2: the most interesting read. So it's those David and Goliath battles, for example. You're definitely more likely to see conflict on the front page of the paper.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it's residents versus developers or it's people versus nature even like we've seen with all the floods recently so there's I think conflict is one of those ones that you do have to be careful with it though don't you
2: yes in PR um, you know bringing about controversy you've got to be prepared to manage that fallout so it can work really well in a from a PR perspective depending on where you're positioning yourself within that David and Goliath Um, I guess, barometer. Mm. So sometimes it might be that your client is actually
0: Goliath, you know, and perhaps this is a position or a fight that you don't want to have. So how can you temper that conflict down? So your key messages, you might look at your key messages and try and work out, how can I actually step away from this conflict? What can we do to reduce the conflict in this story, therefore reducing the newsworthiness? So it's not on the front
2: page anymore. That's so right. You can kind That's of think right. outside the Making box there. So. Mm, mm. mm-hmm. um, and then and then um, equally on the flip side you may deliberately um, position your client because everybody does love those Aussie battler stories. Oh yeah, definitely. So position yeah, so that would maybe be a time that you could uh, use that as a tactic for your client if positioning them as the you know the small business owner that um, beat the multinational conglomerates to become number 1. Um, within their industry or something along those lines, and people love those types of stories, and they they do go up the ladder in terms of uh, news valueness as well. Yeah,
0: and I think you get a lot of clicks through on that too because people will identify themselves on. On one of these sides, too. They might see themselves as the small business person, or they might see themselves as the, the company wrong, the, the company's wronged me as well. So that also makes for a really interesting read. So I think um, conflict is one of those ones that's really powerful, but you do have to be very careful with it, and you have to be careful how you run conflict as a news value in your PR.
2: Absolutely. And I did say news valueness. I meant newsworthiness. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I didn't even pick that up. <laughs>
2: no, I, I could have just gone with it. So that's one of the news values demystified for you. And we'll look at a few more this season as we love to break down the jargon and give you an insider's peek into how journalism works and how stories are created. You've been listening to it's PR Darlings. I'm Greer Quinn from Forward Communications. And I'm Joe Stone from Sticks and Stones PR. Don't forget to listen to earlier
0: seasons for more industry insights like these.
2: We are a curatorial
0: place. We have to curate. If we just become the news of the day regurgitating what other news is doing, we lose the reason for the user to open it. You know, we might need to pull the pin given what's what's happening and where news is breaking on any given day. So the availability of high-resolution professional photography um, to go with you know PR pictures is is really really important and it it certainly helps get get
1: stories across the line. I don't want you to make something up if you don't know it just say to me I'm gonna go and find that for you and make sure you do before the deadline because there's nothing worse than writing a package as a journalist leaving a hole in your story and then it falls over because that
2: information's
0: never received. Join us next time on It's PR Darlings.